Chapter Nine of Curly by Roger Pocock. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Reading by Matt Perard. Chapter Nine: War Signs. On Tuesday morning, after I headed Jim for Holy Cross, I had to stay over in Lawrenceburg, finish my horse deal with the Lawson Cattle Company, then get my men back to Grave City by the evening train. I had only three cowboys. Monte, Custer, and Ute. Nice children, too, when they were all asleep, but fresh that morning, full of dumb yearnings for trouble, and showing plentiful symptoms of being young. At breakfast time, I pointed out some items in the local scenery, a doctor's shambles, a hospital, a mortuary, and an adjacent graveyard. Now, you kids, says I, you may be heap big tigers, but don't you get wildcatting around too numerous, because I ain't aiming to waste good money on your funerals. They said they'd be fearful good, and might they have ten dollars apiece for the church offertory? They set off with three pure hearts and thirty dollars. Now, I reckon there were twenty-five Flying W riders owning the town that day, and they began politely by asking my boys if Chalkeye's squint was contagious, and whether that accounted for symptoms of mange in his ponies. My boys were dead gentle, and softly answered that Lawson was the worst horse thief in Arizona, that Lawson's foreman was three parts negro and the rest polecat, and that Lawson's riders had red streaks around their poor throats because the hang-rope had failed to do them justice. The Flying W inquired if my three riders was a case of triplets or only an unfortunate mistake. Then my boys produced their six-guns and allowed they'd been whelped savage, raised dangerous, and turned loose hostile, and I only arrived just in time to save them from being spoiled for further use on earth. I challenged the flying W to race their best pets against my mangy ponies, and both sides agreed to have a drink with me, instead of wasting mounted funeral pageants on such a one-horse town as little Lawrenceburg. So while I was playing nursemaid, herding all those kids who should roll up the street, but young Onati of Holy Cross on the dead run with a letter from Jim. The more kids, the worse trouble. Well, when I had swallowed Jim's letter, I fired off a batch of telegrams and soon had a wire back from the Albuquerque sheriff. We'll impound them cattle, says he, pending advices from Bryant. So I sent Onati streaking after Bryant and went on playing at nursemaid until I was plumb scared that I'd be sprouting a cap of ribbons. Anyway, I didn't have time to think until the evening train pulled into Grave City. By that time, my three babies were dancing a fandango upon the roof of the car. When the train stopped, I hauled them down by the legs, petted them some with my boot, and told them to go away home. They went with a bet between them, which would be first at my ranch. Just for the sake of peace and quietness, I stayed that night in Grave City and sat around next morning smoking long cigars while I made my poor brain think. 
there were points in jim's letter and facts i had picked up casually at lordsburg and words of gossip dropped in the hotel but to put them all together would have puzzled a large-sized judge still by all the tracks the signs the signals and the little smells i reckoned that mr ryan was mighty near reaching a crisis and apt to break out sudden as dynamite first here was sheriff ryan with two deputies his wife and a medicine man camped down at holy cross now bryant would scarcely take deputy sheriffs down there to nurse a sick lady had holy cross been seized at last for balshannon's debts that smelt of ryan secondly jim had gone to heaps of trouble gathering all the breeding stock of holy cross for a party named jabez y stone to steal them convenient jabez y had once been a bartender in ryan's hotel so that smelled of ryan too third here was poor balshannon being held with a string round his leg at the sepulchre saloon by the two crookedest gamblers in arizona the same being low-lived joe and louisiana pete once joe being jailed for killing a mexican ryan had put up money for a lawyer to get him released so if these two thugs were instructed to hold and skin the duke that likewise smelt strong of ryan fourthly here was young michael ryan in his private car from new york burning the rails to reach grave city by ten o'clock this night the smell of ryan surely tainted the whole landscape now just throw back to the words of ryan's letter which fourteen long years before he had nailed upon the door of holy cross the time will come when driven from this your new home without a roof to cover you or a crust to eat your wife and son turned out to die in the desert you will beg for even so much as a drink of water and it will be thrown in your face i shall not die until i have seen the end of your accursed house so this was ryan's plan the work of fourteen years industrious a whole lot and plenty treacherous but coming surely true he had waited until he knew the lady was mostly dead then turned her out of holy cross to die in the desert the cattle were stolen balshannon was tied down for slaughter and michael would come to see the finish at ten o'clock tonight i began to reckon up balshannon's friends cowboys and robbers mostly scattered anyway across the big range of the desert they would not hear me if i howled for help but ryan was respectable he was chairman of the committee of public safety which lynched bad men when they became too prevalent with their guns ryan was our leading citizen heaps rich and virtuous no end the law would side with him and as to the officers of the law judges and city marshal and the police they got elected because he spoke for them he owned the city could bring out hundreds of men to take his side what could i do against this ryan's friends i knew that young curly was hid in grave city somewheres and after a search i found him the boy was so disguised he hardly knew himself chalkeye says he you want to talk he looked sort of scared and anxious 
I do. If Ryan's folk see you making talk with me, they'll think there's some new plot against the white man. Just you watch where I go and follow casual. He led me to a little room he rented over a barber shop, and, looking from the window, I noticed that Ryan's hotel was just across the street. Curly left the room door open, because he didn't want any spy to use the keyhole. Now, says he, make your voice tame, or we'll be overheard. Don't show yourself off at that window, but keep your eye skin thar while I watch the stairs. What is your trouble? Where are your range wolves? They're a whole lot absent, says Curly. Can't you trust me? I ain't trusting even myself. He looked fearful and worried. You know that Ryan has seized Holy Cross this morning, yes. And that Ryan has stolen all their breeding stock? Yesterday that was. And that your father dressed himself up as a preacher and warned Jim? They met up five miles south of Lordsburg, yes, sir. And that Bal Shannon is tied up here to be butchered this evening. Well, Curly, I want the range wolves to save Bal Shannon. The range wolves has another engagement, sir. You know all about this, Curly. Can't you trust me to help? We want no help, I reckon. I turned my tongue loose then and surely burned young Curly. Don't talk so loud, old Chaka, but say some more, he laughed. I could set around to listen to you all day, turn your wolf loose, for it's short your time to howl. That dried me up cold and sudden, for I had been acting youthful, and Curly had got responsible, maybe elderly, with me. The same being ridiculous seeing how small the boy was. You're through with your prayers, Chalkeye? Some comforted, eh? You old ring-tailed snorter, can't you understand? We ain't going to have you mixed up with us range wolves and branded for an outlaw. We want you to keep good and be a whole lot respectable right along. Then you can stay around in this man's town, walk in the open with a proud tail, and show the Ryan outfit that Balshannon has one friend who ain't no robber. Then I understood. Now, says Curly, hear my little voice, for I'm going to prophecy. You know that Ryan reckons to have young Michael here for Balshannon's funeral? Suppose this Michael don't transpire tonight. Suppose the train comes in with news of a horrible, shocking outrage. Suppose them mean, ordinary robbers has stole a millionaire. Suppose, well, just you wait for Ryan's yell when he hears what's done happened to his petted offspring. He'll surely forget there's any Balshannon to kill. Just you wait, peaceful, and when the town turns out to rescue that poor stolen maverick, you want to ride in and collect Balshannon. Opposite in the hotel piazza, I watched old Ryan and the city marshal having a mint julep together at one of the tables. You hear that, hoss? says Curly, and far off I heard a horse come thundering. Soon the rider swung into sight, pitching a dust high, until he came abreast of my window and saw the city marshal in the piazza. Marshal, I heard him calling, 
The wire to Bisley has been cut. Is that so? The city marshal at Bisley wants your help. What's the trouble? You, Ryan, your partner Jim Fiskin, has been held up on the mule pass by robbers. Marshal, the message is for you to bring a posse swift to the nigh end of the pass, so as the Bisley people can drive the robbers under your guns. Good, says the marshal, belting up his gun. I'll be there. It would be an awful pity, says Curly behind my shoulder, if our city marshal and his posse of men got called away on a false scent while the wicked robbers up north were stealing a millionaire. That youngster was wiser than me. End of chapter 9